You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. And more on Window Nation coming up, uh, their big uh, spring offer. Uh, I'll tell you about that. A Game 7 tonight in town at Capital One Arena. The 17th all-time Game 7 for the Caps. 5-11 and 11 overall. 3-8 and eight in... Game 7's at home. Uh, Not great, Um, but they won their last Game 7. That came a year ago in the Eastern Conference Finals when they beat Tampa on the road 4-0. They lost their last Game 7 at home two years ago, a 2-0 loss to the Penguins. The Caps and Canes have played a series so far where the home team hasn't lost. I think it's going to happen again tonight, Uh, but we will make predictions uh, and final score predictions a little later on in the show. By the way, the Caps are favored. They should be. Um, They're a minus 160 to minus 165 favorite tonight at home against uh, the Canes in Game 7. More on Game 7 coming up shortly when Caps reporter, beat reporter for the Washington Times, Adam Zalanka, will help us preview the game. Real quickly, Aaron, because I did stay up and watch Oklahoma City and Portland, uh, the NBA playoffs, which have been a complete snoozer so far, produced the game of the NBA playoffs so far. I don't know if we'll see another one like it. Damian Lillard knocked down a 37-foot three-pointer at the buzzer to finish off the Thunder, 118-115. The game was incredible, really, from the start. And by the way, if you're wondering, um, you probably know that Lillard went for 50 at 34 in the first half. Uh, Charles Barkley, by the way, and I didn't know this until last night, had held the NBA playoff record for points and a half. He had had 38 and a half back in 1994. Lillard was close, went for 34 in the first half last night, finished with 50. Um, Paul George and Russell Westbrook, they both played great. They really did. I mean, They gave it all they had. They never took a seat. I don't believe they did. I don't think they took a seat in the second half. Um, George had a couple of bad turnovers and two missed free throws late that really hurt. Um, But OKC built a 15-point fourth-quarter lead and couldn't hold on to it, in part because I think they ran out of gas. Um, They really did. Um, But anyway, uh, Lillard has been brilliant in these playoffs so far in this series. He went for 50, including the last three, which came. It said 37 feet was the actual measurement. It looked like it was like five feet from half court, which would have made it a 40-footer. But whatever, it was a ridiculous shot. And even though I was rooting for OKC, Aaron, uh, last night I took the Thunder plus four and a half, and I will tell you that I thought on that final possession, that if they missed and the game went to overtime, I would lose my bet. I think I think Portland would have well, Portland would have won the game in overtime, and maybe by a lot. Um, not only w- were Westbrook and George in foul trouble, but they looked exhausted at the end of that game. So won the bet, but I lost the team that I really wanted to root for in this postseason. By the way, there was a crazy hockey game last night—a game seven between San Jose and Vegas in which, look, I don't know a lot about hockey, but it appeared to be to me to be a bad five-minute major penalty called against Vegas with just over 10 minutes to go, and Vegas leading San Jose 3-0 in a seventh and deciding game. They had a five-minute major, and San Jose scored four goals during that five-minute major. Four goals 
to take the lead. Vegas forced overtime, but San Jose won it in overtime. Man, game sevens in the hockey playoffs are phenomenal. So They're fun. just the best, and we get one tonight. Boston, by the way, finished off Toronto. And just so you know, it's a correction from yesterday's show. We both said, or maybe it was Tommy and I, said that the Caps had home ice advantage the rest of the way. I don't think they do because the Bruins had a better regular season record. So I think if they play the Bruins in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think Boston would have home ice advantage. Even though Boston wasn't a division winner, I think the Caps had three fewer points. Is that the way it works? Yeah. uh, Vegas, even though they were a division winner, went on the road for the Western Conference Finals last year. Okay, so so Boston would have uh, home ice advantage in the Eastern Conference Finals. All right, a couple of NFL notes and reports to touch on. Before we get to... Our mock draft, and then a bunch of people who 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 will have on Redskin beat reporters, and then we'll finish up with Clinton Portis, and we'll get their picks based on a mock that Aaron and I do. A couple of, of quick reports from yesterday. Um, number one, there was this tweet from Connor Hughes. He writes for the Athletic and covers the New York Jets. He tweeted out the Jets are fielding phone calls for the number three pick. They've made this abundantly clear, and it's normal this close to the draft. Keep an eye on the Redskins, I'm told. There have been some early talks. All right, my reaction to that, and I tweeted out his report or his tweet with my thoughts, are, number one, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think his report's wrong. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think the Redskins are going to trade up to number three and give up what they would have to give up to trade up to number three, which would include, at the very least, next year's first-round pick to move up 12 spots and another pick or two. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Um And if it happens, we would obviously all, I think, come to the conclusion that it would be for a quarterback. And if Murray goes one, then it's for Haskins. And I definitely don't want them to trade up for Haskins. I don't want them to pick Haskins, period. Haskins, on my board, if I had a board, Murray won... Uh, and then probably like Jones, Locke, or Locke, Jones, and then Greer. I think Greer's a playmaker. Like, if they end up taking Greer in the second round, if he's there, I'm not going to have a major problem with it. God, I'll have a major problem with them drafting Haskins almost at any level. I mean, I'm talking about the first two rounds. But if they traded up for him, I think it would be a major, major mistake. Keep in mind this also when it comes to trading up 12 spots. The Redskins would have to include, more likely than not, next year's number one as part of that deal. If we're all being realistic with each other, next year's first-round pick that the Redskins have is going to be a top-ten pick. They're a double-digit loss team on paper right now. You, it's, it's really difficult to debate that they're much better than that. You know, whether it's 10 losses, 11 losses, or 9 losses, they're going to be close to that top 10 range. So that's a valuable pick in next year's draft to be giving up to go get Dwayne Haskins in addition to the other picks you'd give up and also considering the player you could get at 15 in this draft on defense. Um, I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't, I'm not disputing his report that the Redskins and Jets have talked. I just don't think it'll happen. Now, could it happen for Kyler Murray? If Arizona didn't take Murray, 
that's a different conversation completely. Completely. I think it's high risk, but as we've talked about so many times, we don't have the personal due diligence information. If that is good and he's not going to be a baseball player or he's not going to be a guy that you know, has issues with family members too much involved or t- teammates as a leadership. I, if, if all of that stuff, stuff checks out, you know, I don't know how I'd feel, but if you told me that they traded up to, to number three and got Kyler Murray and gave up next year's first and call it this year's second and maybe a, a third and a future fifth or something like that, I'd be much more excited about that than a trade up to number three for Dwayne Haskins. Hell, I'd be much rather, I'd much prefer a trade up for Nick Bosa than Dwayne Haskins, even though I wouldn't do that, trading up 12 spots. Kyler Murray, though, be hard to blame him considering they don't really have a quarterback they, you know, that they can really count on. They don't have a quarterback for the future beyond next year, and they have a major business issue. It's the predicament, right? Their ticket selling and their interest level versus you know the right way to build a, lo- a roster for the long term. There is that predicament that the Skins are in. I think a lot of that's playing in to the Haskins conversation internally in in particular. It is Dan saying I our, our franchise is at an all-time rock bottom. Nobody's interested in our franchise. We can't sell tickets. We can't get television ratings. We need a spark, a jolt to this franchise. And Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins would give us that. While the football people are saying can't be Haskins Mr. Snyder, can't be Haskins. He's just not the answer long-term. And others, you know, thinking in terms of building a long-term roster, saying the defensive players in this draft are all better than any of the quarterbacks. Certainly the quarterbacks not named Murray. The Redskins' internal predicament right now, and I don't know what's going on. I'll just stick with what I felt from the beginning, which is that Dan Snyder wanted to make some shit happen in this offseason. Um, now there was a report this morning, Diana Russini tweeted as for the rumors about a Josh Rosen trade, I was told Washington does not have any plans to trade with the Cardinals per sources. It was also brought to my attention that Arizona could keep Josh Rosen on the roster and trade him later in the summer. If they go Murray, you've kind of been hinting at that the past couple of weeks, right? That's kind of yeah. what you've been saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for the last week and a half, two weeks, I've said that my strong lean would be, you know, based on some of the conversations I've had, is that the Rosen deal wouldn't happen. Now, to be fair, I don't know the reasons why, and I'm not sure Diana really um, specified the reasons why. I would guess that Arizona wants too much. Um, I also wonder whether or not Josh Rosen staying to be their starter is still in play. You know, as to you know, versus taking Murray overall, there was a Pete Prisco report yesterday. I don't even know who Pete writes for anymore or talks for, um, but that the Cardinals have been putting Murray out there as their number one guy to see what the reaction from the fan base would be, and as to whether or not they would, you know, get a bunch of new ticket sales, and they haven't. 
And so now they may be moving away from Murray. I don't know. The Murray thing, of course, is the key to the early part of this draft in many ways in terms of the quarterbacks anyway. Um, Also, lastly, uh, before we get to a couple of things and then this mock draft, there was a story uh, from NJ.com, NewJersey.com, by Ryan Dunleavy that I would urge all of you to read about Dwayne Haskins' upbringing in, in New Jersey and the addendum that this author, Ryan Dunleavy, wrote to his original story that details a bizarre um, conversation with Dwayne Haskins Sr. Just find it, read it. I think Aaron retweeted it yesterday. I'll retweet it as well. NJ.com, which I think is the former Newark Star-Ledger, I could be wrong about that, but a very reputable um, publication. Ryan Dunleavy's the writer. He wanted to write a very benign story on Dwayne Haskins' upbringing in New Jersey and ran into all kinds of issues in trying to write this story, so much so that he had to write an addendum to the story where he detailed word for word the conversation that he had with Dwayne Haskins Sr. The only thing I will tell you without going into this in great detail is that I guess I have this sense now after the Griffin experience that if you've got a father that's too involved, um, you better really love the player because if you don't really love the player, you should pull that player off your board. Uh, All right, tomorrow night's the NFL draft. The Redskins have nine picks as it stands, um, and they've got the one tomorrow night in the first round, and then they've got a second rounder and two third rounders in night two of the draft. And I want to go through real quickly. I've got a menu of draft-related discussion that we're going to have on this show today, tomorrow, and Friday. Today, I'm going to start by giving you a list of players that I like for the for for the Redskins at 15. A list of players that I like for them at 15 based on, you know, the list of players that potentially would be there at 15. You know, guys that have been projected somewhere between 10 and 20. Um, I'm going to give you that list of players that I like. I'm going to give you a list of players that I don't like for the Skins at 15. And then I'm going to get into some of the running backs that I like. Over the years, I've had pretty good luck in giving you some running backs that turned out to be really good. And I'm not I'm not talking about first-round guys. I'm talking about you know, second round through, you know, undrafted free agent guys. I'm going to do that real quickly. And then Aaron and I are going to do a mock draft. And then we're going to bring on a bunch of people to give us who the skins would take at 15 based on our mock draft. Uh, And then uh, tomorrow, Cooley and I are going to preview the draft. Cooley's going to be with me. We'll give predictions on what what the skins should do uh, versus what they will do. Um, And then on Friday, obviously, we'll have a total recap of the first round and a preview of the rest of the draft. So let me start with this. Um, I'm going to start with guys that I like at 15 for the Redskins. Again, the list is really players who are projected to be taken somewhere between 10 and 20. It's a subjective thing on who's going to be available. And I, but, but understand this, I'm not, you know, Kyler Murray's not going to be available at 15. Nick Bosa is not going to be available at 15. Quinn and Williams. These are, these are guys that are consensus top five guys. I'm not considering those guys and I'm not considering the guys that have been pegged later on in the draft. All right. Here are the guys that I like that could potentially be there at 15. I love Montez Sweat. 
I've loved him since the beginning of the college football season, and there are medical concerns with him related to his heart. If they are comfortable with the medical, all right, if he's cleared, um, he probably would go before 15 in that case. But I've seen him mocked at 15 or later, even before the heart issue came up. To me, Sweat is the quick twitch edge rusher that this franchise has been missing for so long. He's got speed, and I want the speed rusher versus the power rusher. Sweat ran a 4-4-1 in the 40-yard dash at the combine, the fastest 40 for any player of his size in combine history. He's powerful, he's versatile, he plays the run also. He's my favorite pass rusher of the guys that could be there at 15. I like him more than Burns. Hell, to be honest with you, I like Polite, the guy from Florida, more than almost any of the others not named Sweat or Bosa. Um, But he's got issues, apparently, you know... Uh, apparently he's got a bunch of issues, and and that's why he's dropped so much. The Redskins may have a, an opportunity to get him, you know, later on in the draft. I like Winovich from Michigan. I like him too. He's not a first round guy. He's probably a night two guy. But God, do I love Montez Sweat and the way he plays. He's someone that down the road could be the guy that offensive coordinators lose sleep over as they're trying to game plan for. He could be there at fifteen. Uh, He played on a great defense, and he would be joining a talented young core of defensive players, most of whom are from the SEC as well. I hope to God he's healthy and his heart condition doesn't impact his life, um, let alone his career. Um, If he's there at 15, I would love the Redskins, if the medical is cleared, to take Montez Sweat. I will tell you I love TJ Hawkinson too. Um, there's a chance I have seen him mocked as as low as as 17, 18. So I'm throwing him in there as a, as a possibility. I would never pass on him if he's there. He's the real deal. Chris Lindstrom, all right, is a guard from Boston College. He is as close to a sure thing at that position as Brandon Sheriff was when they took Sheriff at number five. You know, he's not going to sell tickets for you, um, but he's going to step into a need position and start day one. And if they took him at 15, that is not a reach. He's an underrated athlete. He has started, by the way, at both guard and tackle for three plus years. Um, I think he's an under the radar athlete, super high Q. If they took Lindstrom at 15, I would not have a problem with that. I wouldn't have a problem if they took Jonah Williams. The tackle from Alabama at 15. Three-year starter for Nick Saban. By the way, he can play guard in the NFL to start. And let's not forget that down the road, and by the way, not a long road, the Skins are going to need a replacement for Trent Williams. Williams is is going to lose his effectiveness here at some point. How many years does he really have? They're going to need a replacement tackle. And Jonah Williams is a tackle. Can start his career as a guard. Um... But, you know, he's got a T next to his name more than a G next to his name. Uh, Anyway, I like Jonah Williams, and I do like Marquise Brown uh, as a wide receiver. I do. He's a game changer on offense. Charlie Casserly loves him, says he doesn't know how anybody will cover him. He's tiny. He's 5'9 66 is his listed weight, combine weight. He had a foot injury, 
But he's in that category of a player that defenses will have to game plan for. And really the last player that the Redskins had that fit that description, Deshaun Jackson. I mean, I guess Jordan Reed when he's healthy. If they take Brown at 15, wouldn't bother me at all. I like Paris Campbell a lot from Ohio State. He's a he's a day two pick, apparently. Um, Brown at 15, I'd have no problem with. I'd have no problem with Christian Wilkins from Clemson at 15. I know he's an interior defensive tackle, but if he's the best player on their board, Allen, Payne, you know, they've re-signed Ioannidis. Wilkins, I think if he's there, you'd have to consider it. He could be the best player on the board at 15 if he makes it there. Like Allen, all right, high character winner. Wilkins, if he's there and they took him, it would be an indication they're drafting their board. I would love it. Ed Oliver, I don't think will be there at 15, but some character issues have had him dropping. He's another interior guy, not a nose tackle. But let me be clear about Ed Oliver. His talent is unmistakable. It's Aaron Donald talent, Fletcher Cox talent. And by the way, let's make sure we understand that while John Allen is going to be a very good player, he's not Aaron Donald. Ed Oliver could be. John Allen is going to be a very good interior defensive lineman for years to come, hopefully. But he's not Fletcher Cox, and he's not Aaron Donald. Ed Oliver has the talent to be Aaron Donald. If he slipped because of his character issues and he was sitting there at 15, I think the Redskins would have to consider him. I do. Let me get to the list of the players that I don't love at 15. All of the quarterbacks not named Murray. That starts my list of players that could potentially be there at 15 that I don't want the Redskins to take. All of the quarterbacks not named Murray. I don't love any of them. Um, I just don't. I fear Dwayne Haskins the most. I just don't see it with Haskins. I think his. I think beyond being immobile, I don't think he's got great feel in the pocket, and he certainly doesn't handle pressure well. I don't think he's anywhere near ready or anywhere near as good as the guys that went last year. You know, Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, Josh Allen. I would much rather the Skins trade 15 overall for Rosen, which I don't think they're going to do, than draft Haskins or Locke or Daniel Jones. All of the QBs not named Murray would be disappointing for me at 15 and definitely disappointing if they decided to trade up for one of them. Uh, Cleland Farrell from Clemson is not a guy that I want him to take at 15. Here's the deal with Farrell. He just doesn't have the speed or explosiveness that Sweat has, that Polite has. Not that Polite's a first-round pick. Skins might be able to get him in the fourth round. All right. Uh, he's, he obviously doesn't have what Josh Allen or Bosa has. He's a powerful D end in a four three to me. He's not a. He's just not a pass rusher that this team should be looking for. Same goes for Rashawn Gary. Underachiever. Too many plays he takes off. He's explosive more than Farrell, but never got the consistent results. So Rashawn Gary would be on my list of, of guys I wouldn't want them to take at 15. Brian Burns is on my list of guys I would not want them to take at 15. The, the pass rusher from Florida State. This is an interesting one because he does flash on tape. He's long, he's tall, he's lanky, he's got real sp- speed off the edge. 
He should be a guy that I love, but there's something about the teams they played, a lot of standstill in the pocket quarterbacks with bad offensive lines, except Clemson. He plays upright. He he he's very unique looking in in how tall he is and how lanky he is. He just looks like a guy to me that NFL tackles will be able to block. I'll probably be wrong about Burns. Everybody loves him. He's flying up the board right now, but Sweat is so much better to me as an edge rusher. And again, Jakai Polite from Florida looks more like the prototypical NFL edge rushing threat than. Burns does. Again, polite, not first round. But Winovich looks like more of a guy that I would love off the edge. If they take Burns, I'm going to be a little bit upset about it. But I'm going to understand that more than Gary or Farrell or any of the other quarterbacks. Uh, I don't like Jawan Taylor, the tackle from Florida. Good run blocker. Too raw right now for the Redskins uh, as a tackle. To me, they took their tackle of the future last year in the third round in Christian, and as raw as he was, he's not ready to go either. And lastly, I would be upset if they took DK Metcalf. I just don't like guys that have unbelievable measurables, but when you watch them on tape, they're chest catchers, not hands catchers, and they just look like physical specimens who don't know how to play the position. I want the guys that know how to play the position. Josh Doxson didn't have the measurables, but looked like he had knew how to play the position. I was dead wrong about him in reverse, but I would not take Metcalf. So there's a few players. There are the few players that I like at 15, a few that I don't want at 15. By the way, I'm still not in favor of trading 15 overall for Rosen. I don't think they'll do it. Diana Rossini uh, says they're not going to do it. Um, but again, I would prefer the lesser of two evils. If they want to trade up for a quarterback, I would much rather rather them give up 15 for Rosen than for Haskins, Locke, or Jones. Much rather have them trade up for Rosen than any of the others. Um, lastly, before we get to this mock draft, I'm going to give you a couple of the running backs that I like in this draft. Why am I doing this? Because... Cooley made a big deal out of this, but I've I've had I've been effective over the years identifying running backs that turned out to be, you know, good or, or potentially good. Non first rounders, by the way, later in the draft, second rounder, later guys. Last year, my guy was Carryon Johnson, and he was having a hell of a year in Detroit before he got hurt. The year before that, I loved Kamara. Um, I loved Corey Clement. If you remember, late in the draft, and I said the Redskins should take him in the seventh round. He has been a productive guy for the Eagles. Uh, I was a big fan of Alex Collins late in the draft in 16. I liked Coleman, uh, Tevin Coleman, and Mike Davis in 15. Like Buck Allen, too. Years before, I've loved guys like Lamar Miller and Devontae Freeman. Um, I haven't liked any of the Redskin running backs that they've taken over the years, except for one. I really thought Evan Royster was going to be a good back. I was wrong about him. Uh, by the way, last year, I was not big on Geis, if you recall. I was much more impressed with Carrion Johnson, with Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, and I really liked Justin Jackson later in the draft, the guy who ended up playing well for the Chargers. So here's some running backs that I think will go after the first round who could, I think, be very good backs in the NFL. All right. Uh, you know, if you think about running backs, 
historically the draft has produced many mid or you know second third or later round stars then first round stars Frank Gore went in the third round Darren Sproles in the fourth DeMarco Murray was a third round pick Le'Veon Bellhell was a second round pick as was Matt Forte Freeman went in the fourth David Johnson went in the third Kamara went in the second uh, Tarek Cohen went recently in the fourth round pick. Undrafted guys in recent years like C.J. Anderson and Isaiah Crowell have been good backs. All right, here, here are my my backs that I like. I love Miles Sanders from Penn State. Love him. I don't know where he's going to go. Second, third round more likely, uh, most likely. Great vision, balance, ran a 4-4-9. I don't care about that as much, and, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. He backed up Saquon Barkley at Penn State and was overlooked, and he's been underrated. He's going to be a very good back in the NFL. I do like Damian Harris from Alabama, another really good vision guy and powerful and competitive. You just wonder about running behind the Alabama offensive line and what that's meant. I do like Bryce Love from Stanford. He was injured last year. He probably would have had, would have had a first-round grade without the injury. He could be a huge weapon as a pass catcher. So explosive. Another guy with great vision. Um, I, I think Bryce Love could be a game changer. The guy that I've mentioned all year long that I really like is Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic. Here's why he's dropping and could be available for the Redskins late in the draft or somebody. He ran a 4.6640. I don't really give a shit about that. If you watch this guy, he didn't look slow on film. Great vision, balance, super quick feet in the hole, made people miss all the time. And how about production? 66 rushing touchdowns over three years and 4,300 yards uh, rushing. I think he will be a steal in the fourth round. I like Daryl Henderson at Memphis, game breaker, speed, explosive. I like Benny Snell from Kentucky, Benny Snell Jr., powerful back, but with really good feet and vision. Uh, and the last two I'm going to give you, I like Kadri Allison from Pitt. Nobody's talked about him. Big, strong vision, patience, and I really, really like LJ Scott from Michigan State. He may not even get drafted. Six feet, 225 pounds, ran a poor 40, uh, missed out on seven or eight games this year because of injury. If you've watched LJ Scott in the Big Ten at Michigan State, you know he's a football player. Incredible power, vision, competitive, can catch the ball, and he may not even get drafted, but I think he's going to be on a roster in the NFL and be productive in years to come. All right, let's get to Window Nation, and then let's get to the mock draft with everybody's pick for the Redskins at 15. Window Nation right now has their spring deal in effect. Have you checked your spring checklist? Hose works, check. Lawnmower starts, check. Windows open, uh, maybe not. Uh, is there moisture on your windows? Is there a cracked window, or is it fogging up? you got to take time now to look at Window Nation's new energy-efficient windows. Take advantage of their 33% off sale going on now on your entire project, including installation. Window siding and doors included. The entire job with install is all 33% off. Plus, to make quality even more affordable, get a house of windows for as low as $69 a month. That's cheaper than your cell phone bill. And if you call this week, Window Nation will give you free blinds for every window you purchase. 
Think about it. Take 33% off your entire order. And for $69 a month, get brand new energy efficient windows plus free blinds. If you're in the market for new windows, siding or doors, give Window Nation a call to experience their industry best customer service with a free in-home estimate. Trust me, these guys are amazing. I've used them before. Let them put a check on your home upgrade checklist. Call 866-90NATION today. Go online at windownation.com. I've used them twice in the last 10 years. A lot of people I know swear by Window Nation as well. Harley Aaron and Eric are the best. 866-90NATION. You will not be dis- disappointed. Tell them that I sent you. All right, here's what we're going to do. You ready, Aaron? I'm ready. Aaron and I are going to rip through a mock draft to get to 15. And then we are going to take several people on the phone, a lot of the guys that cover the team, and then we'll finish up with Clinton Portis and get their predictions based on the draft board that we create. We'll get their predictions on who the skins will take at 15. I'll go first. Arizona takes Kyler Murray. I just still think that those that's the odds-on favorite, that Cliff Kingsbury was brought in for that reason. I know there's a lot of stories flying around. I think the Cardinals take Kyler Murray. I think they will eventually trade Josh Rosen, not to the Redskins, but I've got Arizona taking Kyler Murray. You're up next with San Francisco. Yeah, in this case, it's either Bosa or it's Quinn and Williams. Um, there's a lot of buzz about the 49ers really liking Williams, but I think Bosa is just the better player overall, so I'm going to have them taking uh, Nick Bosa All here. Right. You go Nick Bosa at number two to San Francisco. The Jets are on the clock. I think they go Quinn and Williams. I think Williams and Bosa right now are considered to be you know, 1-1A in terms of the defensive players in the draft. The Jets take Quinn and Williams, and what's interesting is they have Leonard Williams, who I loved coming out of Southern Cal, but I just think you take the best player on the board, and you can always use more than one really good interior lineman, and a lot of people think that Quinn and Williams is one of the best interior defensive linemen we've seen in years. I got the Jets taking Alabama defensive tackle Quinn and Williams. Here's the tough one. We got the Oakland Raiders on the clock, and trying to get into John Gruden's head is never an easy task. A lot of buzz that they're going to make a surprise pick, a lot of buzz that they're going to do something weird. So trying to figure out what he's going to do is tough. Uh, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to believe the buzz that they're going to do something weird here between the fact that they sent their scouts home, between the fact that, you know, there is a lot of buzz that it's not just going to be a simple pick, which you think it could be at number four. So I, I was looking at the board at who it could be. There's one name that sticks out to me that would fill a need. It would be a, a it would be a surprise, but it would also work in some extent. So I'm going to say the Raiders are going to take Rashawn Gary, wow. pass rusher from Michigan here. That would be early for Gary. You just put the first wrinkle here. Yeah. Into the first round. The talent is unmistakable. Um, the effort, the work ethic, the production is the issue with Rashawn Gary. That would put Tampa Bay on the clock. This could be, you know, either the Jets at three or Tampa at five in front of the Giants um, could be one of those trade opportunities. But if Devin White's sitting there, I see the Buccaneers taking the best inside linebacker in this draft, and that would be Devin White um, from LSU uh, at number five overall. That puts the Giants on the clock. Yeah, Giants are on the clock. So the question is, is this the place for Haskins or for Jones? We heard the buzz about that. Is this the place for a quarterback? 
I think that they are going to wait on a quarterback. They're not going to take a quarterback here. They might take a quarterback at 17, depending on who's available there, but it won't be at six, which gets me down to, I think they're going to take someone in the front seven. Ed Oliver is a possibility here, but I think that with Josh Allen on the board at six, that's a no-brainer pick for the Giants. Man, there was a time not too um, far uh, in the past where Josh Allen was thought to be the second player taken after Kyler Murray. You've got the Giants passing on the quarterback, going with Josh Allen at number six overall. That would put Jacksonville on the clock, and with their defensive talent and Nick Foles there, they've got in, they, they've got Leonard Fournette, no matter what the issues are with Leonard Fournette. I have Jacksonville taking the tight end from Iowa, TJ Hawkinson. God, they need a weapon for Foles. Uh, a tight end for Foles would be perfect. And Hawkinson is the real deal. I've got Jacksonville at seven taking Hawkinson. Detroit. Yeah, the Detroit War Room's kind of breaking things right now because I had TJ Hawkinson written down for them at number eight. Uh, I think there's a number of ways they can go. Hawkinson, I think, is a big possibility. One of the linebackers of White falls to them is a possibility at eight. Even Devin Bush, I think, could be a possibility. Uh, I'm going, however. They do need some help on the line, particularly at tackle. They'll take Ed Oliver at number eight. Ed Oliver, maybe, you know, some would argue maybe the most talented player uh, in this draft. He's close to it. Um, but, you know, a lot of uh, concern about uh, work ethic and, and other things. You've got him going to Detroit at 8. That puts Buffalo on the clock. Um, I think they go offensive line. Juwan Taylor would not be my first offensive lineman, but I've been reading a lot that Buffalo likes Taylor a lot. So I'll go Buffalo taking Juwan Taylor at number 9. It's another spot for a potential trade, you know, with Haskins and Locke still on the board uh, at that point. But I've got Buffalo taking Jawan Taylor. Broncos are on the clock. Here's another place where Haskins could absolutely go, and John Elway is going to really take a look at it and really consider it. However, they also have a major need at linebacker. That's something that, again, if, if White is somehow there, it's a no-brainer pick for them. And so because they have such a need at linebacker, and because I, I just I don't know if, you know, after the trade for Flacco, well, it, it makes sense. You could have that as a nice transitional period for Haskins. I don't think Elway goes with Haskins here. So because they have such a need at linebacker, Devin Bush from Michigan still on the board. I will have them take Devin Bush. You know, I agree with you. I don't think Denver's taking their the quarterback of the future. I think Elway thinks um, that there's a chance that Flacco will perform. He needs to give him more weapons than just Philip Lindsay, you know, and Cortland Sutton from last year, um, which means I, it wouldn't surprise me if they went offense here or they potentially did try to trade back and get a wide receiver. But if if they got, you know, uh, Bush at linebacker to add to all of their defensive talent, even though Chris Harris wants to get dealt, uh, I, I believe, um, yeah. But you, you know, you got Von Miller, you've got Bradley Chubb, and now you're going to throw Devin Bush defensively. Um, the Broncos still have a chance to be very good. All right, Cincinnati next. Um, I don't think Cincinnati takes the quarterback either. You and I are both here on the same page here that we're dropping Haskins and the quarterbacks. I've got Cincinnati taking Jonah Williams, who I think Buffalo should have taken had they wanted an offensive lineman. But I got Cincinnati taking Jonah Williams, the tackle from Alabama. Man, I, I think Cincinnati would have a hard time passing on a quarterback, but it's definitely reasonable. They also need they need help in a lot of places, so it might be a situation where. They just have so many holes that it doesn't make sense. Plus, if they're bad, they can get – I think that's one of the interesting things is if a team 
thinks that they might not be great next year. The quarterback crop next year is so much better. So much better. So, so I, I think, think I think that's in play right now with a lot of these teams. Yeah. All right. Uh, Green Bay's on the clock. You've got their pick. Yeah. Green Bay, I think, is going to be looking to help Aaron Rodgers here. Uh, you got the new coach coming in, so it's either going to be a playmaker or it's going to be offensive line. I think that you know, again, if Hawkinson's still on the board, which both of us have him going higher, but this would be a, a no-brainer pick for uh, the Packers. I think they would even consider Noah Fant here. Uh, the other tight end. Uh, I am going, however, with offensive line help. They will take Andre Dillard, tackle from Washington State. All right, we've got three offensive linemen in the last four picks. You've got Dillard, Washington State to Green Bay. That leaves me with Miami's pick, and this is where Drew Locke comes off the board. Could be Haskins, I guess. I'm just going to guess that uh, a lot of these teams are evaluating and they're going to evaluate Locke higher than Haskins. I think some teams will evaluate Daniel Jones higher than Haskins, but Dolphins taking a quarterback here. They can't pass on one of the on having a choice of Locke or Haskins. So I've got Miami taking Locke right there at 13. You've got the Falcons at 14 uh, before the Skins pick. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a defensive pick here. I th- and I think specifically it's going to be the middle of the defense. They have some pretty good edge rushers, but what they don't have is a good defensive tackle. So Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle from Clemson. God, Wilkins is such a leader, such a, a locker room guy, and 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 a good player too so that leaves Washington on the clock all right leaves Washington on the clock at 15 with players like Sweat and Burns and uh, the receivers and Cody Ford an offensive lineman but Brady what Williams it, if they wanted to go second that would be high for him not, but. but what it really leaves on the board is Dwayne Haskins at 15 as we just went through our mock draft so we're gonna go uh, in order here we're gonna bring on a bunch of the beat reporters and then finish up with Clinton um, at the very end uh, we'll go we'll go with JP we'll bring in Michael Phillips we'll bring in Mike Jones Ben Standig John Kime, Chris Russell, and then we'll finish up with Clinton Portis. Um, so we've given all of these guys, by the way, uh, the mock draft that we just completed. So they've had time to think about it with the Redskins on the clock at 15. And we've asked them to make the pick that their 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 actual prediction would be based on what the Redskins would do more than what they would do. We'll start with J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington. Um, And you've gotten the board, and you know who's available right now with the Redskins at 15. Real quickly, before we get to the 15th pick and the Redskins pick and who you have um, them taking, um, on the trade-up story from Connor Hughes in New York yesterday to number three, are you buying that at all? Not really. I, I think the only chance they really go up that high is if Kyler Murray falls, and I'm still not entirely convinced they would do that just because a lot of folks in Ashburn understand that that getting Kyler Murray and trading up to number three, making a blockbuster move, might excite parts of the fan base. But as far as what the team needs, they have so many holes, and, and, and I just don't think the amount of capital you'd have to give up to go to three really makes sense for what this team is trying to do. All right, you've seen the board, you know who's off it, and you know who's still on it. The Redskins are on the clock at 15. Who do they take? So this team knows they need a quarterback. Um, the, what I've been told is that Drew Locke is ahead of Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones 
on their on their draft board. I've, I've been told the same thing, and I and I know we've had this conversation before, but I, that's why the Haskins stuff to me just unless it's Dan coming in here at the eleventh hour to say that's the guy that I want, that's the guy that we can market much more than a guy that most football fans n- didn't even see play in Drew Locke. Um, but uh, I, I believe Locke's ahead of, of Haskins on, on their board as well. Well, and, and here's the other thing. So you've got Locke going at 13th, so he's not available. Doug Williams has said repeatedly that if a QB is there at 15, it makes the, op- it makes the decision a lot easier for them. I've also been told that, that there's a, a decent split in-house between Haskins and Daniel Jones as far as who they like better. I believe they would take Haskins here, though, because we've heard that, you know, Diana Rossini reported that Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder really like Haskins. I do think there would be some excitement around that pick. This is a guy that played his high school football here at Bullis. Um, he was supposed to go to Maryland. Maryland, you know, fired the coach he committed to, so he went to Ohio State. But I, I think Haskins makes a lot of sense. I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced they take him over Daniel Jones because there there are folks in the building that really like Daniel Jones. The other guy would be Montez Sweat. We we know they've been impressed by him, but this heart condition has has taken him off a number of teams' draft boards altogether. So I am taking Dwayne Haskins at 15. I, I think there would be a lot of happy people inside Ashburn if they get their QB of the future without having to trade up or, or really or make any moves. And, and keep all the rest of their picks two and and two in the third. Um, is that the pick you would make? No. Who would you pick at fifteen? I would I would call Houston, try to get them to trade up for a tackle, go to twenty three, try to get Jones at twenty three. If you can't get Jones at twenty three, you take the best available. If it's Marquise Brown, if it's Chris Lindstrom, um, if, if it's one of these guys that can help you at a, a position of need for this season. I think Haskins has a really, really high upside. I, I don't believe he's ready to play in 2019. Um, I, I think Jones might be able to play in 2019. I, I think Jones won't hurt you as much right away, but but doesn't have the same potential. Um, I, I just the QB I like would be a guy Ryan Finley Friday night and get the best player you can at 23 and maybe have four picks Friday night rather than just three. All right, JP's in on his prediction that the Redskins, based on our board, would take Dwayne Haskins at 15. I appreciate the time, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kevin. All right, JP is in uh, with Dwayne Haskins, and now we go to Michael Phillips in Richmond. He, of course, covers the team for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Michael P R T D. You've seen the board that Aaron and I created uh, in terms of the first fourteen picks. Redskins are on the clock at fifteen. Who do they take? Well, I, I don't think they pick. I, I think they trade out of the pick. I, you know, I I think Haskins is obviously the logical choice if they turn in a card. It would not surprise me at all, though. Uh, if, if they trade back, if they try to accumulate picks, because I, I just don't think any of these wide receivers are good enough to be taken at 15. I think they'll be available later. I know that game got played a few years ago and Josh Doxson was the result, uh, but but I'd be pretty surprised if 
you know, if, if those receivers, there was a run early and they somehow weren't available later. So I, I think if it's available, they're moving back. So you would you don't think that they are enamored with Haskins and Haskins would be sitting there at their pick without them having to have moved up to get him? Remember Morgan Moses as well. I think there's a potential that you could move back and still get Haskins. I, I think the buzz around him and the potential liabilities on him, I, I think if he's still available at 15, that means nobody saw the need to go up and get their guy. You know, I, If you really like Dwayne Haskins, I don't think you're sitting around waiting for him to fall to you. I think you're going to make the move with the Jets or whoever to go get him. Uh, I think Jay's voice matters in this too. You know, Everybody kind of poo-poos Jay's role in this. I Jay, I don't. I'm not sold that Jay wants Dwayne Haskins. I, I think Jay wants a guy he can ride with this year, and I, I don't think he's sold that Haskins is that guy. What if Locke was there at 15? Do you think they'd take Locke? Because I agree with you. I don't think Jay. I don't think the football people um, are sold on Haskins. And in fact, I think they've got Locke. Uh, and JP agrees with me on this that they've got Locke uh, higher up on their board. What if Locke fell to 15? Do you think they'd take Locke? I, I think that's much more in play. Yeah, that, that's a guy you grab and start running with right away. Can I throw a real curveball in here? Yes. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the day, you know, I would be surprised because it'd be crazy. It's the draft. But what if they traded for Kyler Murray? What if, what if Kyler Murray slips away from that one and they go up and get him? I, I don't think that's entirely implausible here. Do you think that's what the conversations, according to Connor Hughes in New York, do you think that's the, what the conversations with the Jets have been about? Or do you think they I were sure. about, Haskin, about Haskins? I'd be stunned if they moved up to three to get Haskins. Me too. I think you'd have to, you'd have to immediately pan that as being the second coming of the RG3 trade. I, I just don't think that'd be a good look. Yeah, I agree with you. But do you think that if the, if the report is true and they've had conversation with the Jets about three, it's very unlikely that it's about Bosa or Quinn and Williams. Do you think that the Redskins have – did you believe the report? And if you do, do you think they have some sense that Murray could drop to three and they want to get ahead of the Raiders? Yeah, I, I, to me, that's the most likely scenario for the number three pick if you move into it. I got to say, this is going to be a really fun draft tomorrow, Kev. I, so many variables across the board. I don't think we've seen one like this in a very long time, if ever. I, I think you're right, and I think you know it, it all stems with you know what happens at one with Kyler Murray because you know if you be, I don't believe half or most of what I read, but you know the bottom line is is if Murray doesn't go to Arizona over number at number one, and they've essentially um, been playing everybody on this thing, then I wonder if anybody has him. Um, yeah. By the way, it's not the talent. It's not the unique ability that he could bring to an NFL team. But I think at that point, it would be about the other stuff. And if the other stuff bothered Arizona, it may bother a lot of teams. And and keep in mind that there's a domino effect available here. That means they're staying with Rosen. That puts other other fish back in the pond. You know, there's there's a lot of dominoes that fall off of that number one pick right there. And I think with Haskins, it's the same. If a couple teams spurn him, you're potentially sitting on one of those like, oh, now he's Johnny Manziel, now he's at pick 25 kind of situations where, where everybody freaks themselves out on draft night. All right. Um, so let's just clear it up. You think they're not going to pick at 15 in the scenario that we've created. You think they're going to trade back and then just be specific. They're going to trade back where and pick who? Um, give me a trade back uh, to uh, 
let, let's say 24 to make it fun. Obviously, like, let's trade with, with the other Gruden. Um, I think they're going to trade back and grab a wide receiver in the first round. Um, you know, Metcalf's obviously a guy who would bring that that sizzle to the table. I, I, I'll probably take him if I have to take somebody, but I think they really want a star receiver in D.C. All right, so go with Metcalf or, or Brown, one of the two. I, I would assume I'll, those are your two. I will take Metcalf. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, always appreciate it. Good catching up. Talk to you soon. You bet. All right, JP started us off with uh, Dwayne Haskins. Michael Phillips traded back to 24 with the Raiders and took uh, Metcalf, the wide receiver. Mike Jones, my good friend from USA Today, who covered this team for many years at the Washington Post, is up now. Um, The Redskins sitting there at 15. You've seen our board. What do they do? You know, this is a really peculiar situation they find themselves in because with Haskins sitting there, you know that's very tempting – uh, but it's 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 really something that I'm wrestling with because I know there are people in that building who really like him and badly want him, and I know there are other people in that building who don't feel very confident in his abilities. Um, and, and so there's kind of some friction in that building. Um, I, myself, am going to take a playmaker. Uh, I'll take uh, DK Metcalf because I'm looking at these wide receivers, and it doesn't matter who your quarterbacker is. Case Keenum, he did well for Minnesota a year before last, but he had some really dangerous weapons. The Redskins have no weapons. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. You've got nobody that can has a game-changing talent, um, and I think you need to get one. And um, You've got Paul Richardson, who's got some speed, uh, but you need a big guy who can move the chains and can be physical, can uh, beat guys off the line, can um, be a red zone threat, and I think that Metcalf is probably a guy that can help him there. Um, so I I agree with you. I mean, I, I've talked about this for a couple of weeks now. I, I, I did not think, by the way, the Rosen thing was going to happen for the last week right. and a half, two weeks. And I've been told that, that many people in the organization, including Gruden, have lock rated uh, ahead of, of Haskins. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't do Haskins if Dan were really involved. Um, but mm-hmm. but if Locke had been there at 15 and not Haskins, do you think that they would have pulled the trigger on Locke? Would you have said Locke instead? Um, it depends on who's calling the shots. Um, well, who do you think? Uh, so that's a good they, question. If they care... That's yeah, a good. That's, that's a. That's a good question. Who do you right now? You still have contacts in the organization. A lot of them. Who do you think's influential right now? Um, I think that it is the the two most powerful guys in the organization: Dan Snyder, Bruce Allen. Um, obviously, it's Dan Snyder's team. Um, Bruce Allen still has his ear. Um, I think that there are other members of the front office who really like Haskins. Um, I don't know about all of the coaching staff. I think that if they listen to Jay Gruden, they probably don't take Haskins if they get, because uh, I know that there were some concerns uh, about uh, his anticipation and his mobility. Jay kind of likes a quarterback that can move a little bit more um, and gets rid of the ball quickly. Haskins is kind of like, I've been told, kind of like a Byron Leftwich. And remember, Byron Leftwich had a great big arm, but he had a long windup. He didn't have the greatest anticipation, um, but you know that in the past, Dan Snyder has fallen in love with big-armed quarterbacks. Um, you know, and we're going to find out who the most influential people in this organization are based on if Haskins sitting there. We'll find, we'll know if they take him. It's because Dan and Bruce had to have him, and if 
They go with uh, another kind of playmaker, whether it's a pass rusher or whether it's a wide receiver. Then you'll know that everybody was on the same page and they decided, hey, we need some more playmakers and we'll address the quarterback situation um, some other way. But if it's Haskins, I think that that's a sign that there's some division there. You buy in any of the reports or the Connor Hughes report yesterday out of New York that the Redskins would actually trade up to number three with the Jets or not? Not at all. I was told that they don't feel like they can afford to part with any early draft picks. Um, and so don't expect them to trade up. Even if ha- I, I was even told that if, if it's at six that they wouldn't trade up to, to get Haskins or anything like that, that he would have to fall into their lap there. I, they haven't had any discussions about Josh Rosen, and they don't feel like they can part with picks to move up to get um, a quarterback. And so I don't buy that uh, report about the Jets. All right. Uh, Mike's uh, writing for USA Today. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, per usual, at by Mike Jones. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. All right, uh, Mike Jones goes DK Metcalf at 15. Prior to that, Michael Phillips traded back to 24 and took DK Metcalf. Uh, And JP said at 15, if Haskins is on the board, they will take Haskins. We bring in Ben Standig now, our good friend from NBC Sports Washington. And Ben's been doing probably more you know, draft prep and mock draft prep than anybody um, that we've talked to uh, so far today. Uh, And I gave you the board. Aaron and I did a mock draft up through 14. Um, You know, Burns is there. Haskins is there. Sweat is there. uh, Some of the offensive linemen are there. Some of the uh, wide receivers are there. Who do they take at 15? Oh, boy. All right. So, first of all, I don't buy the DK Metcalf thing at all. I'm not going to have him in my first round in my final mock. So, taking him at 15 would be way early if you want to take him later. I mean, I get it. They need receiver. Nobody's arguing that. But I don't think this is the draft you can get receiver in day two that's loaded. So, I'm not really thinking receiver. To me, it's either the pass rusher or Dwayne Haskins. My personal thinking is that based on what Jay Gruden said this offseason, they need this player to be an impact based on the reality, no playoffs, three straight years, yada, yada, yada. I don't see them taking a quarterback. I like the idea of trading down, as you said, Michael Phillips said, and then using that to get other picks. Maybe if a quarterback slips, you make a move, you get other things. But if, if the, for, but the thing is, I think, as I heard reported today, that the front office and the owner may be making the call. And if that's the case, then Dwayne Haskins screams Redskins pick. What, right? did, what did you hear? Well, I, was it Diana Rossini, I think, put it out there that the call is being made by Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder as opposed to necessarily the football people? Okay, I mean, um, I, I saw the report, her report about Rosen. She also said that though the Dan and, and, and Bruce are making the call? I didn't see that one. she said. I, okay. I mean, regardless of that report, I mean, that to me has been the thing. I mean, for months I've been screaming, if the Redskins want to change their perception, they need to be off-season champs again. And the off-season champ move right here is Dwayne Haskins, quarterback of the future, local kid. You can't make this up a- a- any better. Historically, though, I mean, the last two to three months, I've been going, they've got to go pass rusher. The Montez Sweat thing, if he is there, he would easily be the call if you told me the Redskins approved his medical situation. He's got an enlarged heart. Some teams are taking him off the board. Others are not, I'm told. So it just depends on how the Redskins view it. To end this thing so you can move on with life, I'll go with Dwayne Haskins. I don't personally think that the Redskins organization 
is prepared to let this kid sit for a year, and that's why I don't think it makes it would make sense for if the football people were making the call. But based on where the organization is, and if this guy's there, I'm going to guess Dwayne Haskins is the call. First of all, I totally agree with you on DK Metcalf. Um, if they took him at 15, I would be very disappointed. I would be very disappointed if they took Haskins at 15. Um, but uh, your logic, you know, the sweat thing is very interesting because we don't know exactly what the medical is, and we don't know which teams have have them uh, have him off their board entirely because of the medical scare or not. Um, certainly, talent wise, uh, he would. He, he would be my pick at 15 if that's the way the board uh, you know went but we're, we're trying to come up with who the Redskins will pick at 15 based on that board and you've said Dwayne Haskins and and that's hardly a, a reach at that point if he is still sitting there uh, at 15. Um, real quickly before I let you run, do you buy any of the stuff uh, any of the reports out in New York yesterday, the Connor Hughes stuff that the Redskins uh, are interested in moving up 12 spots? I, I, I don't. I mean, I get it if Kyler Murray is there because that's a guy we just haven't thought about it. He's the one quarterback that you hear most people seem to be fairly positive about. All the other quarterbacks, just lukewarm across the board. Some like, some don't. I don't get the sense people buying it. Kyler Murray, I do. But like I said, that seems to me like a winning the offseason move. It doesn't seem like a move for a team that's trying. I mean, they have so many holes right now. If you just simply were asking me what's their biggest priority in this draft, I don't even know if I could answer that. There's like five or six things I could say <laughs> right. should be the biggest priority. And that's why like trading up and giving up so many assets doesn't seem like the right move unless they again the offseason champ thing, and they're willing to accept that this is a bit of a rebuild, and that they're you know going to take some time. I just don't see that approach happening, so that's why I don't really buy the trading up to number three. But at this point, honestly, Kevin, my my brain is mush. I, I don't really know what's going to happen uh, tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Follow Ben uh, per usual uh, on NBC Sports Washington, where he's writing a ton. Uh, in in preparation for this draft, and you can follow him on Twitter too at Ben Standig. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, uh, Ben Standig in on Dwayne Haskins at fifteen. Mike Jones before that says DK Metcalf. Michael Phillips traded back to twenty four with the Raiders and took Metcalf. And JP started us off uh, with uh, Dwayne Haskins at fifteen. John Kime, who covers the team. For ESPN.com joins us right now. You've seen the board the way we have it. What do they do? Oh, in, in this scenario, Dwayne Haskins. I, I think the other guy that would tempt me up there is Brian Burns uh, because of the pass rush need, and I know that he would be on the list. I think the receivers, it's too high. Um, and I, I could see a trade back in that situation, but if Haskins is there, and I have heard for a while that – some of the people in upper upper management are enamored with him. He's there. He's gonna. He'll. They'll take him. Okay. So what you're saying is the same thing that um, Mike Jones believes, um, and that is that Dan and Bruce and maybe Doug and and a couple of other people. And and to be honest with you, he didn't say Doug. I, I'm throwing in Doug. Um, all like Haskins. I don't believe Mike agrees with me. Um, I don't think that Jay Gruden likes Haskins. I think Jay Gruden would take Locke before Haskins. Um, but right now, do you do you agree with that general description of who likes Haskins and who doesn't? Yeah, yeah. And, and keep in mind, too, like, if you're Jay Gruden, 
you need a guy who can help you win now. Of course. And and, 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 and that doesn't mean that it's a guy that doesn't have a, a potential. Like, there are guys like Brian Burns, to me, can help you win now and help you really win later. You know, because I think he has that kind of a ceiling. I don't see the receivers giving that kind of a bump. I do think, like, DK Metcalf has some elite traits. But at 15, he just hasn't shown on film that he should be the 15th guy. But I, so, but if you're Gruden, you want that guy who can help you now. Or even if as a quarterback, um, if he can't help the, if he can't help you in September, let's say, he's got to be able to help you at some point that season. Is Haskins that guy? And uh, I don't know because I think the I think the troubling thing, not troubling thing for her, the the one thing that concerns people is he only had the one year of starting. And so there are things that you saw on film that you say, well, how would this translate next year in the same system? How does he progress? That would have given everybody a clearer picture. So now it's really based on some potential and what you hope and what you think. And for a guy who needs to win now, I think that's a tough way to go. So I, I don't know that. I think I, I think I feel pretty safe in saying that. All right, I, I've asked everybody else um, these two questions. Number one, um, if Locke were there at 15 and Haskins were not, do you think they'd take Locke? No, no. Really? No. Why? Um, I don't think that he would be um, – I don't think they I, – I think Burns would be the guy in that case. Um, and I think – for Locke, I think if he were there, if they traded back in the first round, maybe they would do it then, but I don't think they would do it at 15. What do you think their board says on quarterbacks right now? Their whole board on every quarterback, throw in Murray. Well, Murray would be first. And then, I, then I'm not sure. Well, let me say this. I think it would depend on who you ask. I think clearly Haskins would be second for some. And I think that for some others, Jones might be second. I know, but what's and, the, what do you think? They, they, they end up with a board, and it's based on everybody's input. Just give me a guess. I know you don't know for sure, and I, I don't know for sure, and I'm not sure anybody knows for sure. But yeah, and I don't your, know for sure. I, what's I, your best guess? My, if I had to – see, I think that's hard. My, well, you think, it's, would, you think I, Haskins I, I, before Locke. I would, yeah, I think Locke is fourth in that. And then it, to me, it's like, is Jones or Haskins next? And I think, um, I, I say, would have to say, like, if you're looking at potential, Haskins has more potential because I think he's just more talented. Um, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if Jones were second, but I would have to probably put Haskins second for, but again, I don't, you know, it, who has the influence on how they're setting the board? And that should be Kyle Smith. And I, <laughs> I could see in that situation that um, Jones might be more the guy. I don't, I don't, but I can't say that for sure. I just, I don't know. Would they trade up for Haskins if Haskins is after Murray and Murray's gone? Would they trade up for Haskins if they had to? I think they would, and I think it then it depends on how high you have to go. Now, if you're going to let's say ten or eleven, maybe you're only giving up a third round pick. Uh, I think they can use those third-round picks, but I think that's that's what they would do. And keep in mind that, I mean, we've seen this. You know this. Like they're they're fairly aggressive when there's a quarterback they want to get. And I think if if the owner and Bruce Allen really want this guy, I yes, I can definitely see that. How high up though? That's the hard part because they've talked long and often about. And Doug Williams said the other day that 
you know, the chances of trading up are slim, especially compared to trading back. Um, and then, you know, we know that Bruce Allen White is in love with the draft picks now. And so how much are you willing to give up to move up? Um, but if it, uh, the way the way Haskins' stock is going, if he's there and he only takes the third-round pick, yes, I can see that. Lastly, uh, John, last night was part of NFL Nation's uh, mock draft on ESPN where he was up there live on television with a black shirt and a turquoise or some color <laughs> tie that certainly uh, certainly looked good. And you came out and, you know, based on that particular board, you had the Redskins taking Devin Bush I did. at 15. I did. Where, where did that one come from? Well, because I, I, didn't, I was surprised that he was there, first of all. Um, secondly, I know he'd be on that list for of their consideration. Um, and then it was like, you take Bush, Burns, Jones, one of the receivers, and in our draft, we can't trade back. And I think if you're going to take a receiver, you're trading back. So then it comes down to those three, and my guy all along has been Brian Burns. And maybe I should have gone there, but like, I see Bush as an impact guy against the run in the pass. And I think you have a chance to build the sort of defense you want with a guy like that. And my concern is, I know Ruben Foster's not suspended, but Foster hasn't played 16 games in a season yet. He's played 16 games in two years. You know, can you trust him for 16 games? We don't know that yet. And Sean Dion Hamilton, while, you know, he started the end of the year, um, there, are things, there are qualities of his that I really like, but is he a full-time starter and at what level? So you, I know like when Ruben Foster was not suspended, I was told that that doesn't change anything as far as their approach to the draft. So if they could get a guy that can upgrade there, they would do it. So I, you, you package all that, but it's his ability to impact the pass game in coverage and as a blitzer so he could help the pass rush. Um, that, that's what led me to him. So and, and I think it's hard because like there's the, my gut starts to say, you know, they want a quarterback, but there are guys after the first they like. And, um, but they need a pass rusher, and that's Brian Burns. But Burns right now is impacts nickel sub-packages, but Bush can impact all. All right. Your pick is Dwayne Haskins. Thank you, John. Of course, follow yeah. John on Twitter at John underscore Kime and all the stuff he's doing uh, with ESPN. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, man, as always. Thanks, Kevin. All right, uh, we are now on to Chris Russell from 106.7. The fan, of course, covers the team for uh, for JFK. Um, we started with JP. He took Dwayne Haskins. Michael Phillips traded back to 24, took DK Metcalf. Mike Jones took DK Metcalf at 15. Ben Standig took Haskins. John Kime took Haskins. Russell's with us right now. You've seen the board. What do they do? Yeah, Kevin, I think they're going to go Dwayne Haskins as well. I mean, I know that's uh, pretty safe and conservative based on what you just described there, but I think that's the best pick overall for them at 15. I would not be in favor of trading significantly up uh, to three or five ahead of the Giants, but I could absolutely see if the board fell that way and if Dwayne Haskins somehow survived Denver, Miami, Cincinnati, the Giants, and he's still there at 15, that's a slam dunk pick. You have to make it. The only question I would have is whether they feel the pressure to move up ahead of some of those teams I just mentioned. Do you think if they took Dwayne Haskins at any point in this draft that this would be an indication of Dan, Bruce, um, their influence more yes. than, say, Jay Gruden and the football people's influence? Yeah. Yes, very much so. I do believe that. I've heard similar to that. 
that this is a Dan and Bruce call even before Rusini's report on Wednesday morning, uh, that Dan and Bruce are largely driving a lot of this selection. I do know from what I've heard, some of the football people, I'm not sure if that includes Jay Gruden or not, to be honest with you, Kevin, uh, but I know at least, you know, some of the football people uh, that are involved in this process, and I'll just leave it at that, are not a big fan of uh, the potential direction of the pick that I just made, that others have made, and Rossini's report, which is Dwayne Haskins. Certainly, if they have to move up for Dwayne Haskins, or if they choose to move up. I agree with that. Uh, lastly, because you're one of the, the people that I know that love hockey and you cover the caps for <laughs> JFK too, do they win game seven or not? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, somehow, some way. I think. I, look, it's impossible for them to play as good as they did, Kevin, in Game Five at Capital One on Saturday night. But they are much more capable of playing a better game than they have uh, in Game Six, four stretches, and of course on the road in Games Three and Four. So I think they'll win a tight one tonight. I'm going to call it three-two, somewhere in that range. I think. Um, Two guys to look out for, Kuznetsov finally to get a biscuit in the basket, which he hasn't all year, even though uh, all series, even though he's got a couple of assists, and maybe Jacob Verana, who's not 100%, but I, I, I have a feeling that guy's a big game DNA type of shooter and scorer. All right. One thing I know Russell was doing last night was watching the NHL, <laughs> not the NBA, not the NBA playoffs. Wait, wait um, a but... second, I was ball, I was balling out with Dame Sheehan. Yeah, Come I'm on, sure what are you, you talking were. about? All right, thanks. <laughs> Follow Russell at WrestleMania six two one. Listen to him on JFK. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate you. All right, let's finish up with Clinton Portis. Um, after we've gone through a bunch of the beat reporters in town and they've made their pick. Clinton has our mock draft in front of him. Um, The Redskins are on the clock at number 15. You've seen the list of the players that have gone. If they don't trade up or they don't trade down, and maybe you think they should or or perhaps, you know, uh, not. Um, But assuming right now they're at 15 with the board in front of you, who would you take? Well, when you look at this board, I think for – the Redskins, they're actually in perfect position because you have uh, maybe four guys sitting here that they're interested in. And out of those four guys, of course, Haskins is still on the board. Um, I don't I don't think I take Haskins. I honestly think I turn in uh, Brian Burns, DN from Florida State. Okay, so very interesting. First of all, why don't you like Haskins? Uh, I just don't think he's mobile. He's not a mobile quarterback, uh, especially for this town and in this city. Uh, I just don't, you know, he's from here. He's from this area. As as good as you think it would be, as great as you think the fit would be, I don't. You know, when you look at him passing, I just don't think he's mobile. And you're going to have to be able to move uh, in this offense, you know. I think he's, you know, I think he's a great talent, but your biggest need is an edge rusher. You lost Preston Smith, who was supposedly your best edge rusher. You got an opportunity to take Brian Burns, a guy with a lot of speed coming off the edge, uh, a guy that's going to turn heads and, and make plays for a long time to come. So why pass on him? Why would you take Burns ahead of Sweat? I just think Burns is a is a bigger, more agile defender. You know, when you look at when you look at Burns, I think Sweat is good too. 
but just the uh, the concerns about sweat, you know, all of a sudden it comes out. You don't need any guy with medical history. You don't need any question mark, any guy that could possibly get hurt or miss time. You need guys that can be on the field and play. So with sweat, I think that puts him, that gives Burns the edge over him. You know, the one thing with Burns, Clinton, is I I see the, the explosiveness, the quick twitch, the whole thing. I also see a guy that is all, unusually tall and lanky. And I'm curious from a guy like you whether or not that's a an easier guy to block and handle on the edge or more difficult. Well, the NFL has went away from chipping, so that's the advantage he has. Uh, no running backs chip anymore. It, I, I think uh, it's even a penalty for chipping now. So when you look at this, for him, I mean, most left tackles or, or right tackles are big guys. So I think he fits. I don't think it's a disadvantage because no one is going to be chipping him anyway. The There's a guy that's not pro- projected to go in now until the, the middle rounds, maybe the third, maybe the fourth round, maybe even later, that to me, along with Sweat, and, and I'm, I'm taking Bosa off the table because Bosa will be long gone. But the guy from Florida, Ja'Kai Polite, to me looks like one of the most athletic, relentless, quick-twitch speed rushers in the draft. And I know there are some you know, character issues with him that have per- per- perhaps made him drop. But I was just curious as to what your opinion of him was in terms of a talent. Why not take both of them if, if they're available? You need, you need guys that's going to come in and be an immediate impact. Uh, that's what that's what Coach Gruden said. So if you need guys that's going to come in and make immediate impact, you still have have Caleb Brantley uh, on this team that we haven't seen play yet. Remember that Caleb Brantley dropped in the draft right. due to character issues as well. So uh, now you have Caleb Brantley, you have Burns, and you have Polite. I mean, that's a loaded D line to add to the guys that you already have, and that's edge rushes on third down, you can take Kerrigan off the field. You got two guys on the edge that really cause uh, cause destruction. And you have guys in the inside that you can mix and match. Payne, Ioannidis, Brantley, uh, uh, the, the kid from VTech. Uh, you're loaded at your D-line position. So now, moving forward, you don't have to draft D-linemen. Do you agree with me on polite yeah, I think he's – I mean, if you look at the kids from Florida, a lot of kids come out of Florida with character uh, issues and concerns. <laughs> That's just a small town. You look at Gainesville, it's a small town where the guys just kind of run wild, run wild because they control everything. The city revolves around them. The city moves around them. So they get into to little dumb situations. You know, they get into situations – it's not life-ending, but – you know, it's, it's petty stuff that keeps them in trouble. All of a sudden, they transfer to the NFL. You know, you look at the kid Fowler. It took him a couple years, and now look, the Rams just re-signed him. He just played in the Super Bowl. So I think there's a lot of potential in these kids. They just got to come to the realization and own up to their decisions. 
If I had told you that Haskins, I told you that Haskins was there at 15 and you passed on Haskins and you took Burns, the pass rusher from Florida State. If I had told you Locke was available at 15 too, would you have taken Drew Locke? No. I just don't. I'm not crazy about the uh, quarterbacks in this draft. You got Case Keenum. I actually think Case Keenum can play and you got an opportunity to wait. And, and I mean, who knows? If Arizona take Murray, then you got a quarterback available. You see? So it's no, it's no real rush. You got a, a guy who can play. You got a guy who's had success in his league in Case Keenum. So why not roll with him? If Ed Oliver had been there, as as talented as he is, even though he is more of an interior, you know, perhaps somewhere around a three technique guy, would you have taken him? It's the same for Ed Oliver. You, you're talking about polite had character issues, right? I know. I think Ed right, Oliver had character issues. So when you look at Oliver coming out, top deep, uh, defensive player when he came out, hometown kid, stayed in Houston, and I don't, I really don't think he had the collegiate career early on, freshman sophomore year. He was he was a beast. This year he kind of I'm not sure if it was knowing he was going to the NFL and uh, back and all, but he didn't he didn't capitalize. He didn't finish the way he should have. And you have Payne, you have Ioannidis, you have Allen. Who are you going to bench? Who's the best wide receiver in the draft? Um. I think it's in Kill Harry or Hollywood Brown. Uh, Hollywood Brown is, I mean, if you turn on film, not talking about numbers and size, you're talking about playmaking ability, that's who stands out. You know, you look at A.J. Brown and, and D.K. Metcalf, they didn't perform in college. Although they're, you know, the hype that came with, with the body and how great they look and the workout, the performance on the field wasn't there. You know, if, if D.K. Metcalf – uh, would have had success at Ole Miss. I mean, that size, that speed, that skill set, he should have dominated on the collegiate level. But instead, it's like, oh, when he come out, now you're just not hearing about him. So I think that's the question mark. You look at Hollywood Brown, when he catch that ball in the middle of the field and turn up, he's a playmaker. We need a playmaker. Uh, and I think Hollywood Brown is the biggest playmaker in, in this draft, but when you're looking at size, we need a receiver with some size, uh, a number one guy, and I think that could be Enkel Harry from uh, ASU because he's a guy with ball in hand. That's a playmaker as well. I don't think he has the speed that Hollywood Brown has, but he's a playmaker with ball in hand, so that's what you need. Marquise Brown is Deshaun Jackson, yes or no? That's Marquise Brown is uh, uh, Paul Richardson. You know, that's something we already have. You got two Paul Richardson, although I think Marquise Brown is a bigger playmaker uh, than Paul Richardson. I think he has a bigger upside. Paul Richardson really don't come across the middle of the field. Uh, he's he's more of a vertical guy. When you look at uh, Brown and the success he had at Oklahoma, he, I mean, he coming across the field, he catching quick screens, whatever it is, he's taking it the distance. So, I like his upside. I just think he's too small uh, for this offense. You know, you, you look at losing Crowder, I think he's like 170 pounds. You need a big guy. You need a guy who can go up and bang and get open uh, in the red zone. And when you need to throw a, 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 a lobby pass, someone who can go up and get it. But does Marquise Brown remind you of Deshaun Jackson? 
Yes, he do. Okay. Um, um, I, I think his playmaking ability, he's just, he's just not a return man. He reminds me of Deshaun Jackson without the return aspect of it. All right, give me two or three running backs in this draft that you like because I know you're always checking them out. Um, I actually like the kid from FAU. Uh, what's his name? From SMU? No, from FAU, from Florida. Oh, yeah, De- Devin Singletary. I love him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like Devin Singletary. Uh, and I like the kid out of Miami. Every No one is talking about him, <laughs> but watching him run, how uh, – You're talking about Travis if, if Homer? At, yes. If you look at Geist film from last year, you know, Geist's early years where he was running through people, running over people, running by people – that's the same thing Travis Homer is doing. He just didn't do it on a scale in the SEC, but he had a lot of success uh, in the backfield. And that wasn't a good offensive playbook that he was playing out of, just like Geist wasn't playing out of a good playbook. So when you look at these guys, and it's not creating, it's downhill running. And once he plant his foot and get downhill, he'll run through you, he'll run around you, he'll carry the load. So – why he's not being talked about, I have no idea. But Travis Homer is actually a great bet. You know what? I could have predicted that because you told me Mark Walton last year, and I remember you told me Duke Johnson, and you were right about Duke Johnson. I think he's a good back. But you've always got. To... I was right about. I was right about Mark. Walton. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying it's you're wrong. I'm just, I'm just saying it's, I should. Off the field problem. I should have predicted that you were going to give me a Miami bat because you've done that basically for the last three or four years. Um, well, uh, I mean, you look at the kid from Alabama and the success that he's had, right? I, I Everyone is high on Jacobs, but you look at his numbers, he didn't put up amazing numbers. And it's running back by committee again at Alabama. Why doesn't he take control if he's that good? Like if he's a first-round back, I think Singletary had the best co- uh, collegiate career and the running back from Iowa State. I forgot about Mon- him. Montgomery. Um, the, yeah. the, the Singletary thing, I'm totally with you on him. He's got that incredible vision, makes people miss in the hole, but he ran a 4-6-6, which is going to drop him. I think I think somebody's going to be able to get him in, in you know the third to, to fifth round range maybe. I can't imagine that he yeah, would go – you're saying a four six six. What guys are blazing out of the backfield now? Le'Veon Bell ran a four six. I know. A four five, no, I, whatever I, it is. But what? running a forty is about like your takeoff. It's your first movement. Some guys just don't get going. You got to look at football speed and stop worrying about. I agree. Uh, the, the track speed. There's no straight ahead play in football that a guy is going to run forty yards straight ahead on the B line. Totally agree with you. It's one of the reasons, and I and I mentioned some of the backs that I like earlier. It's one of the reasons I like L.J. Scott from Michigan State. I think someone is going to get him late in the draft, maybe even as an undrafted free agent. And he always, every time I watched him when he was healthy, he looked like an NFL back. Yeah, I think L.J. Scott, I mean, he, he was in college a long time. So, it seemed like um, it. Yeah, he was in college a long time. So he's a guy that can play. You have a lot of guys that can play. They just don't pop off the board. So that's why you put Singletary with Singletary vision. Vision transfers to whatever league you're playing in. Right. Um, being able to make guys miss in the hole, find the holes. You know, you look at his path. A lot of guys, even footwork, the original footwork for a lot of guys, 
it's just it's changed because so many teams are running you from shotgun and you're sliding over. So guys don't have uh, eye formation footwork. They don't know how to come downhill, square their shoulders, because they're always running lateral to the line. So you got to you got to make a lot of adjustments with some of these guys. And you look at Singletary; he can do it all. All right, last thing, and I'll let you run because Clinton's heading out to the uh, golf course today. Um, you know, there have been reports here over the last 24 hours that the Redskins may be interested in trying to trade up. And obviously, if they trade up, it's for a quarterback. I would assume it's for a quarterback, whether it's Haskins or, you know, if somehow Murray wasn't taken by Arizona. Um, but let's assume it's not for Murray. I, I, I'm Based on you taking Burns with Haskins on the board and saying you wouldn't have taken Locke either, how upset would you be if they traded up for a quarterback? I just don't. I don't think this is a draft to go quarterback crazy. You you have so many quarterbacks that's like in the middle of the pack. Daniel Jones. I like Daniel Jones. I don't like Drew Locke game. When you watch Drew Locke ball, it kind of floats. He don't. He he doesn't have a an accuracy pass where it's just zipping into, you know, the, the wide receiver. You need a quarterback that's going to get the ball there. Um, I think Kyler Murray is the only quarterback in this draft that, that has that pass. You know, even when you look at Haskins, his release in, in this, in the East, where you got D lineman that's coming, that's swinging at arms, just his release, I think someone hits his arm, end up causing more fumbles, uh, than, than most quarterbacks, and he's not a mobile guy. So if you're not mobile, you need a quick release, and he doesn't have that. He, he has a wind-up release, um, but his accuracy is there. I just don't – coming out of Ohio State, gimmick offense, I, I, I don't see it. You know, I don't see it in, in Haskins. But you got Will Greer. I, I like Will Greer. You know, he's a gunslinger. You have Daniel Jones. He's mobile. He's a he's a playmaker. Uh, so you have quarterbacks. Why trade up to get a guy who's in the middle of the pack when you can stay at fifteen and get one of those guys? I agree with you. Um, did you stay up and watch OKC Portland or not? Man, you know I had tears in my eyes when when Dame hit that shot. But you know what? Dame Lillard played outstanding. That's the way you know. And everyone want to talk about the competition. He really didn't get in the back and forth with Westbrook. It was just come out and let my play do the work uh, and do the talking. And you got to give him credit, man. For two years, he's taken all kind of heat about not leaving Portland. He already stated, hey, I'm going to be in Portland. I want to be here. I'm not teaming up with guys. And to see him get into the second round, although it was at the cost of my, my thunder, I really think, Portland can become a threat because they got three or four big men. They have role players, and then you got Lillard and McCollum, even Curry. I mean, yeah. no one wants to leave yeah. Curry open. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Evan Turner. Evan Turner, he's stealing. You know, for how much money he got paid in his role, I just don't see the production, but it works in Portland. They have they have a great young nucleus. I really wish Trent was healthy and see how he fits into the fold. I think they're developing something in Portland. Uh, it, it's going to be rough. They can win their second-round matchup. Uh, they could beat Denver or San Antonio. 
Well, let me just tell you, I mean, I think you remember I love Westbrook and I love OKC too, and I, I had them last night plus four and a half, and I, I will tell you this, I think if it had gone to overtime, I would have lost that bet. It looked like George and Westbrook never sat in the second half. George's turnovers and missed free throws at the end hurt him, and, and Westbrook missed the layup, you know, a couple layups, and I thought he played great. I mean, I really thought he played great, you know, in, in that stretch of the third quarter through the fourth quarter. But I felt like if it went to overtime, Portland was going to win big and, and, and cover. So, and, but I, wanted, I really wanted OKC to win. They had a 15-point lead with seven minutes to go and couldn't hold well, on to it. If it would have went to overtime, I think Paul George and Westbrook would have fouled out. Yeah, well, they would have uh, fouled out too, and they were ex- and they were exhausted. They never came out in the second yeah. half. And for Paul George to miss, uh, that's that's been a problem with OKC the entire season, missing free throws. Yep. Uh, and it came back to haunt them. Paul George, I think up to that point was ten for eleven from the free throw line. All of a sudden, the the two free throws you need the most, you miss. And that, you know, it, it just come back to hunt them. And I hate to say it, but you got to go out and get a shooter. And, and OKC, when you look at Paul George, you look at Russell Westbrook, even even uh, Grant. Grant played great yeah, this he did. series. He did. And I, I think he, you know, I think he really showed something. He's going to be a staple of the future. But when you look at that position, you got to get more out of Ferguson. Uh, you you got to get more out of the shooting guard position. Yeah, no, and you're right. You Stephen Adams. Stephen Adams will have ten points in the first quarter. He go out of the game. When he come back in, he's not involved in the offense. There's no crashing boards, no anything, no plays ran for him. Uh, even Noah, you, not Noah. Uh, no, Noel, Noel, who was not good last Noel, night, Noel. missed t- yeah, missed a couple Noel. of yeah. Easy shots. Why are you yeah. why are you shooting floaters and trying to lay the ball up? You're Nerland <laughs> Noel with the highest I mean, you can jump out of the gym. Go dunk on somebody. Noel took a couple of passes right at the rim from Westbrook and just missed. And it, and, and those were hurtful. I, I I really going through that and I stayed up and watched it. I was thinking all I want is I want it to go back to OKC and have a chance with, with, a, with a potential win in a Game 7. And they had it. I mean, they were up 15, and they slowed down a little bit. There was a lot about the way I didn't like the way they played offensively over the last you know, six, five, six minutes. I thought they were trying to almost run the clock out. Um, but they really, you know, at the same time, I mean, Westbrook and George had fouls, and they were exhausted. And uh, the only thing I'm happy about is I got them plus four and a half because if it went to OT, I think I would have lost um, that that bet. But um, all right, man, I, I love catching up with you. And as I've said to everybody, nobody watches more college football, more sports in general of of the ex players who do media in this town than Clinton does. And so it's always great to catch up with him about all of this stuff. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Hit him straight today. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. Peace out. All right, good to catch up with Clinton. So that wraps up that portion. Tomorrow, you know, Cooley and I will do our pick um, based on what we think the skins will do, and we'll also do the pick that we would want made at 15. Um, and we'll probably, Cooley and I will probably do our own mock draft uh, leading up to uh, 15 as well. Um, but just recapping, J.P. Finley kicked it off. He says the Skins would take Haskins 
in our situation. Uh, Michael Phillips uh, from the Richmond Times-Dispatch said that they would trade back to 24 with the Raiders and take DK Metcalf. Uh, Mike Jones said they take Metcalf at 15. That that out of all of them, that would be the most surprising to me. Standing Ben Standig said Haskins. John Kimes said Haskins, and Chris Russell said Haskins before Clinton finished up with he would take Burns, the pass rusher from Florida State. And you heard Clinton, and that's why I wanted to keep Clinton on a little bit longer than everybody else wanted to get his thoughts on everybody. He doesn't like any of the quarterbacks in this draft. Um, that would potentially be there uh, at 15 and certainly would not want the Redskins to trade up for a quarterback. All right, quick word about launch workplaces uh, in Bethesda. If you need a new office space and you live in the Bethesda area, please consider launch workplaces. It's one of those shared office solution uh, providers. They've got private office solutions. They're affordable. It's a beautiful new space at their location in Bethesda. Fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet. They've got a complimentary uh, drink option cafe and free parking. And by the way, plenty of it. You can get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces. Call today, use my name, get an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-867-14, or visit launchworkplaces.com. They've got other locations around town. You can find those at launchworkplaces.com as well, but it's 240-867-14. All right, let's get to Game 7 tonight. The Caps and the Hurricanes at Capital One Arena should be jumping for Game 7. Certainly it was for Game 5. Adam Zelanka covers the team uh, for the Washington Times, and I don't think we've had you um, on the podcast uh, and and the radio show in previous years. But but Tommy uh, loves you and says that, that he and Andy have you on the radio show all the time. So I, I, I'm looking forward to this, and I appreciate you making time because I know you're you're getting ready to go in for um, their uh, their skate today. I, I, I would start with this. Um, You know, in Game 7s at home in the past, which they didn't have one last year. They had the Game 7 on the road in Tampa. Two years ago, they had the Game 7 against Pittsburgh at home. But in in Game 7s in the past at home, there's been this, you know, anxiety in the crowd and with the team, and it has manifested itself more times than not in poor performances and losses at home. I said to Tommy yesterday, I think those days are over. I think they ended last year when they won the cup by, you know, taking out the the ultimate nemesis in Pittsburgh, rallying from two down in the series before against Columbus, winning two games in shutout fashion, down 3-2 in the series against Tampa. I, I f- feel like those days are over. Do you agree or disagree? I think for the most part, I agree. There is still something to be said about hosting a game seven and the anxiety you referred to and all of the past letdowns against the Canadiens, against the Rangers, of course, uh, Pittsburgh series. Now, the difference is that the, with the cup, it's not, it's, it's the way they got to the cup, the way you just really described, uh, the, the whole journey last year being such a successful road team too. They went 10 and three on the road last year. That's, now what we're seeing in this particular series, they've already lost all three road games. But it's funny, my, uh, my coworker, Matt Paris, he reported a story yesterday looking at people who were selling their, their Game 7 tickets on places like Craigslist, on, on StubHub, the secondary market. And, it, and at least one person told him 
that it, he, he's, he's confident enough that they're going to win Game 7 against Carolina that he wants to sell that ticket and save money up for a Round 2 game. So I don't think that's something a Capitals fan would have been saying two years ago or in the middle of last year's run because that anxiety would have still been hanging over the team and, and more importantly, the fan base. Overall, you take the first six games of the series. Who's been the better team for the majority of time? I really think Carolina has the edge there. Trying to break down exactly what's going on in this crazy sort of series. You even if you even add up all of the goals, it's 17 to 17 through six games. That's how close it's really been. Each team has one blowout win over the other. You've had an overtime game, you've had Games tied after 40 minutes, like Game 6, that could have still gone either way, but I just even look back to Game 6, and uh, Carolina really was the better team, playing the better game in, in the second and third periods of that game in particular. They, they found the way. Capitals have been consistent in having good starts, which is certainly important, but then half the time they haven't been carrying it over. For five of the six games of the series, I think you just exclude the blowout even in that blowout loss, though, if I remember, I think they had a good first maybe five minutes of that game, but that doesn't count for much when you end up giving up five goals. But the Capitals have been getting out to good starts. That's important. That's something that I'm, I'm going to expect to see tonight from them, but even that won't indicate a whole lot because it's going to be decided late. You just see playoff hockey such a fickle thing. You see what happened against uh, in, in the Vegas-San Jose series last right. night. I stayed up, and I, I, it was a questionable decision by me to stay up past, what, one in the morning to watch the end of that game because you have four power play goals in the span of four minutes for San Jose. San Jose and not the Vegas Golden Knights advance. That's that's the beauty of the Game 7. Yeah, anyway, sorry to get off track. No, no, no. It, staying off track for a moment, because I mentioned the game <laughs> earlier, um, I was just curious. I mean, I, I, I probably could have found this out by reading, but I just watched the Sports Center highlight of the game. I was actually watching the NBA um, last mm-hmm. night late because that was by far and away the game of the of the postseason so far. Oh, but yeah. has it ever happened that a team has scored four times down three in a five minute major penalty? Oh, I'm no hockey historian, so off off the top of my head, I I don't know. But I would be so surprised to hear that that has actually happened in the history of the sport. It's it's a crazy thing to to contemplate. Four goals. I I, I could see two two maybe three goals being the previous record but don't don't quote me on that for sure all right let's get back to the caps and canes you you mentioned getting off to a good start a lot of times in these game sevens it's really crucial to get off to a good start and get that first goal overall though besides just that what are the keys tonight for the caps to to win Who, who what needs to happen and who in particular more importantly must play well for them to advance Really good question, if i allowed to direct your uh, listeners to an article I wrote for the Washington Times walking up uh, to this game, Game 7, for a, a sort of a preview. A couple of things I touched on in there are just the physicality. Early in the series, actually the first five games, the team that scored one, that scored the first goal was the team that ended up winning. It wasn't true for Game 6. But I think more important trend of this series has just been it's, such, <clears throat> it's been such a physical series, and when one team dominates in that area over the other, you end up seeing the blowouts that we've seen. The Carolina Hurricanes were much more physical in Game 3. You just even look at the, the hit numbers. They had 52 hits on, on the Caps in, in three periods. It's incredible. And that led to the blowout in part. And in, in uh, Game 5, when the Capitals go on for the 6 nothing win, they, they really established the physicality. It was the first game that Devontae Smith-Pelly was back in the lineup. 
he helped a lot in that area. That's exactly what Todd Reardon was looking for uh, by, by calling him back up in the wake of Oshie's injury. Anyway, physicality is going to be a big one. I really think that the uh, power play needs to step up. Um, in particular, guys like Evgeny Kuznetsov. And, and for Kuznetsov, it goes across the board, not just power play. Everybody's wondering where playoff Kuzi is. He doesn't have a goal yet in this series. And uh, last year, he was the leading, not the leading goal scorer, but the leading point getter between uh, points and you know, goals and assists combined. It was, it was Kuznetsov had a few more than Ovechkin total because Kuznetsov was just involved in, every, in so many goals. Whether, whether he's setting them up, he's such a good creative playmaker when he's at the top of his game or when he's scoring them, like when he, he scored the game winner to vanquish Pittsburgh. And this series, for some reason or another, he's just not been that guy. Uh, somebody else would be Jacob Rana. You really need to see him step up. He doesn't have a goal or an assist in this entire series where uh, you look at, at his regular season. He's still a young guy. He performed well in last year's playoffs, so youth isn't really a good excuse. But in the regular season, it was something like 24 goals. He had a career season. He, it was really the kind of season that you would want to see out of him if you're the front office, if you're Todd Reardon and his coaching staff. And he's been largely a non-factor in this series. That's really bringing them down, especially when you're also lacking a guy like Oshie, who's another important goal scorer. So those are just that's just a short list of what needs to happen for to go right for the Capitals to win Game Seven. No, I, I, I that would that was really good, and and the physicality which you started with is interesting because they out hit Carolina in Game Six. But yeah. one of the things I sat here and pointed out to Tommy yesterday, and I'm far from a hockey expert, but I do enjoy the postseason, is that what's obvious to me um, is the the incredible relentless forechecking ability of Carolina and the pressure that they've put on the Caps. And I'm not saying they've been the more physical team because the Caps have been a very physical team, but that pressure that they put on, especially the Caps defensemen, um, and and inching up their defensemen in Game 6 into the offensive zone, that kind of you know, relentless, constant pre- pressure, I thought was very disruptive uh, in Game yeah. 6 in particular. And I'll be interested to see if they come with the same thing Carolina does here in Game 7. Yeah, it's certainly going to play an important role. And I think uh, the, the first team to set the physical tone is going to have that edge. Uh, get, it, get it going early, because if the Capitals can do that, you, you, you know, all it takes is one hit, especially from a guy like Devontae Smith-Pelly, and you see what that crowd, that, that goes into a frenzy when they see one of their fan favorites, one of their, their personal favorites in DSP, laying a hit on a guy. That, that's part of the reason to be physical. But also, yeah, just on the ice. And, and what you brought up reminded me of something I wrote with, uh, with regards to the power play. That's the forecheck. Sorry, I'm stalling a second here. I, it's, it's something that after game one when they had a uh, very bad first period. I'm talking about the Hurricanes had a very bad first period, allowed two power play goals. Uh, it didn't look like they knew how to defend Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Backstrom all at once, which you have to do when you play this team. Since then, it seems that Rod Brindamore has really adjusted and, and just sort of sick the dogs on, on them. All, always physical uh, when defending a power play. So it's, it's even strength, but it's also in the special teams where what you're seeing is definitely being manifested. And something that the Capitals really need to handle better uh, tonight than they did in Game 6. Uh, they didn't miss T.J. Oshie in Game 5. Will they miss him tonight in, in the seventh and deciding game? I think if it's a close one, yes. I think if uh, if it's tied after two periods like Game 6, you, you worry about having a guy like Justin Williams on the other side of that uh, when, when the Carolina Hurricanes and the former Capitol, Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams, who has more points 
in his career in Game Sevens than anybody in history. Uh, that that's gonna make you worry, uh, wish you had a guy like Oshi back. If if it's a one one game or another, I'm, I mean, sorry, one one way or another, whether you're losing by three or up by three after a while, maybe you're not gonna miss him as much because one player doesn't have that much of a huge impact. But in close games, they're they're gonna miss him, and they missed him on Game Six. I think it could happen again tonight. All right, give me a prediction before I let you run. Oh. <sighs> It's really hard to predict playoff hockey, though. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say just because of the home ice advantage and and the fact that I, I really don't want to sound like any kind of homer. It doesn't affect me one way or another if the Capitals win this series and go on, or if they lose and their series ends. When, I mean, their season ends Wednesday. But I'm gonna go Capitals four, Hurricanes three, just Adam, like the series would be game Adam, seven, four to three. Adam, when you're on the beat. It may it makes a difference if they go if they go on to another Stanley Cup run. You're you're witness to it. Thank you so much for the time. That was great. I really appreciate it. If they win tonight, um, I'd love to have you on again. You know, at some point during the next series. Kevin, thanks so much for having me on. This has been really nice to do. I, I appreciate talking to you. Thank you. You can follow Adam on Twitter, and I would urge you to do so at Adam underscore uh, Zalanka, and that's Z. I-E-L-O-N-K-A. And then you can link to those Washington Times articles that he's written, yeah. <laughs> including the three factors that are going to to decide the series tonight, um, which we went through. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks. Take care. Adam Zalanka from the Washington Times, everybody. Um, a friend of Tom's, and uh, first time we've had him on, he was great. So we'll do it again if the Caps continue to move on in the postseason. Don't forget that all of our Caps coverage is presented by Mama Lucia Restaurants. And right now, you can get a chicken parm and a large pizza for a discounted price of $30 if you go into the restaurant. But if you order online and you use my promo code, Kevin Caps, all lowercase, K-E-V-I-N-C-A-P-S, and you order online for delivery or pickup, you'll get that same Caps Hockey Special for just $20, $10 off using my promo code Kevin Caps, all lowercase, when you go to MamaLuciaRestaurants.com and order online. Again, for delivery or pickup, but it's a chicken parm and a large pizza, which David brought in from Mama Lucia's to us yesterday. And Mama Lucia's pizza hits the spot and Tommy was so happy, and it's hard to keep him happy about anything. Uh, predictions on on the Caps game seven tonight. You go first. I'll give you mine. This I, I I'm I'm with him here. This is really tough to say. Um, kind of, there's a weird feeling in the back of my head that Justin Williams is going to do something. Mister Game Seven himself is going to come through in Game Seven against the Caps after losing in Game Seven with the Caps. But you know. This game has been all about, or this series has been all about the crowds. It's been all about feeding off the energy. The energy is going to be great in the building tonight. So I'm going to say the Caps come through and uh, advance to the next round. The Caps are a minus 160, minus 165 favorite. And I can just tell you the public is hammering the Capitals. They are all over the Capitals. With that said, um, I think we're going to see a, a seventh and deciding game that this team has the experience now, has the confidence that they didn't always have, obviously, in seventh in deciding games. And I've mentioned this already, and maybe it's been an inaccurate observation, but in watching them play this series, 
they have a championship swagger to them. Uh, there's something about watching Ovechkin and these guys play. And I know Kuznetsov has not had that great game yet. We've had two blowouts in this series. A 5-0 Carolina Game 3 blowout that was really one-sided dominated. And the same went for Game 5 in D.C. I don't think we're going to see that. We've also seen in this series... Um, you know, more overs than unders. The, the over-under has been about five, five and a half for all these games. We, we saw a six-goal game in game one, a seven-goal game in game two. Um, we saw six in game, uh, in game five and seven goals uh, the other night. Um, I think we're going to see a very low-scoring game, and I think the Caps come away with a 3-1, an empty netter late. They're up 2-1, to one and they get an empty netter late, and a terrific performance by Holtby in net in the Caps win game seven, three to one to advance to what would what would be a very anticipated matchup against their former coach Barry Trotz and the New York Islanders. So that's my pick. Three to one. Tomorrow, um, a big show. Cooley's gonna be in studio with me. I think he's gonna be in studio. You know, that doesn't always work out. He says he's gonna be in studio, but sometimes Cooley will at the last minute say, Can I just call in? I don't want to drive all the way to to Bethesda or in the old days to Rockville. Um, but uh, he'll be a part of it. We'll do a a draft special. We'll have all of our Redskins you know, predictions when it comes to um, the draft. So Cooley will be in with me tomorrow. I want to thank all of the people that came on the show uh, today to help out with uh, what was primarily uh, heavy on the NFL draft, heavy on the Redskins um, as it relates to the NFL draft discussion. Um, enjoy the day. Back tomorrow again with Cooley on NFL Draft Day number one.